Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Well, welcome. Good evening. How are you? <laughs> uh, I, uh, I heard a fun story this week. Um, there's a story of this very, very rich man. And the rich man... Uh, invites a bunch of guests to his estate. And it's this massive estate in Beverly Hills. And these guests come, they have this big party. And at the end of the night, he brings them out to his pool area, and it's this gigantic pool. And the caveat was that there's sharks in the pool. Massive, great white sharks are in the pool. And he begins to say, hey, um, guests... I will give a reward to anyone who traverses from this side of the water to that side of the water without getting eaten. And either you can get a million dollars, or I will give you half of my estate, or I will give my daughter's hand in marriage. And all of a sudden you hear a splash, and everyone turns over and is going over to the side and watching this guy swim for, like, life, trying to get out of this pool, just dodging sharks, jumps out of the pool, just barely misses. And everyone just starts clapping. And the millionaire is just, like, beyond, like, wow, no one's ever done that before. This is incredible. Do you want a million dollars? He's like, no, I don't want a million dollars. Do you want half of my estate? No, I don't want half of your estate then you want my, hand, my daughter's hand in marriage? No, I don't. He's like, well, what do you want? I want to know who pushed me in. <laughs> Tonight, I am going to push you in the pool. So forgive me, this will be the only point of levity that you will experience for the night. Probably not, I'm just joking. But we've been in a series uh, going through the book of Luke. Uh, we've been in Luke over a year now. Um, and we've been in this passage all summer, so forgive me on this one. This is going to be my last time in Luke chapter 6, 12 through 16. And I know Maddie's like got a sigh of relief because this is like her 400th time hearing this. But uh, anyway, we've been connecting with this passage because in this passage, Jesus is taking... Uh, his disciples up onto a mountain, and he's choosing 12 of them to be his personal understudies, his disciples. And so he goes up, chooses 12 amongst the many, and calls them apostles. And the reason that this passage has been significant is because of the number of disciples he's bringing. It's the number 12. It's the number of the tribes of Israel, right? And so because of this, he is trying to connect his story to the story of Israel. Jesus is renewing the story of Israel and, coming and, bring it to, and bringing it to completion. Jesus believes his vocation is to renew the covenant of Israel 
and press it forward. So what have we been covering? Does anybody know the story of the Old Testament? Where did we start? Like what story, who is the beginning of Israel? Does anybody know? You can go ahead. Yeah, yep, Abraham. So we talked about Abraham and how Abraham comes out of this moment where right before, in the chapter before it, uh, they had the Tower of Babel, where all of the nations had congregated and rebelled against God, and God then spread them out by confusing their language and pushing them out into the rest of the known world. And then Abraham was called and says, your offspring is going to bless the world. Your offspring is going to bless the nations. So right off the bat, we know that Israel's purpose is supposed to gather the nations back to God. Then we covered the story of the Exodus, how the 12 tribes were released from slavery in Egypt and brought into the promised land. And then we talked about what it was like for them to conquer the promised land. And lastly, we talked about the kings. We talked about the monarchy and how Jesus is associated with King David and continuing in that line. Today, we're going to put a pin in the last piece of the puzzle, and that piece is the exile. That piece is why did Israel get exiled from God's presence? Why did Israel get removed from the purpose and why does Jesus come to reinstate that purpose and give it back to Israel? And how do we connect to that purpose? That's what I intend to cover tonight. So if you guys will go with me for the last time to Luke chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 12 through 16, and then I'm going to bring us to Isaiah chapter 2. So one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him. Now I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is a vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Let me pray. Come Holy Spirit. Would you bless me as I present the message, and would you bless the hearer, and I ask that you would come and teach us your ways and lead us in your paths, in Jesus' name. So, Isaiah 2, pretty optimistic, right? Pretty optimistic, no? Do you guys disagree? So, we have this vision of the future, 
that someday, in some way, in some capacity, there's going to be a generation of Israelites who are going to fulfill the mission that they were always given. Abraham had been given a mission. From his offspring, the nations would be blessed. This sounds like a good piece of scripture, right? However, Isaiah 2 is following in the wake of quite a bit of turmoil. If you're familiar with Isaiah, Isaiah is a book of judgment and a book of promise. It is talking about God's judgment towards Israel and God's future promise that he will restore Israel and complete Israel's story. So when you open up the pages of Isaiah, the first thing you're going to see is God lamenting over the fact that Israel has not done what she was supposed to do. She was supposed to love the people in the, in the realm. The major dispute is you are keeping the poor oppressed. You are beating up on the widows and the orphans. You are not taking care of people. You are not bringing justice to murders. You are being violent and evil. And the last thing he holds against them is the fact that they have turned to idolatry. They have turned their hearts away and put their hearts towards foreign gods. The whole problem with Isaiah 1 is that God is looking at Israel and saying, what I created you for, what I destined you for, you're not doing. What I intended for the world to have, I can't do it with you. Do we want to hear that? Like, that's, that's a scary thing for me to hear, right? Like, God creates this perfect person. You know, I was looking at, at, at Psalm 139 this week, and we were going through it, and it was like how meticulous God knows us. He forms us, and he builds us, and he's created in such a way you to be unique that David and Natalie and Jeff and Jonathan you guys were created meticulously to do a work. God's looking at his creation of Israel and saying, I created you to do something great, but you've missed it. You've squandered it. You've thrown it away. And for what? For pleasure? For something of your own desire? Because that's what it is. And because of that, he has to fix the problem himself. We talked a little bit about this in Isaiah 9 a few weeks ago when we were talking about the kings, that Jesus had to fix the problem himself, that Jesus had to come both as God but in the lineage of David. He had to fulfill the story because there was no other human that could fulfill the story. Everyone else was wicked. Everyone else was horrible. What he had designed humanity to be, they rebel at Babel. They're supposed to go and spread to the nations, and they're supposed to be something great. God says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the whole world. The first thing they do, they go into the garden, they eat the wrong thing, and they're exiled. Next thing they do is they go spread. You, you survive the flood. Go repopulate. Go to the world. Nah, we're going to stay right here. Nah, I don't want to go. I'm going to stay right here in Babel where it's safe. And I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to build me a tower. It's going to be awesome. God says, no, you're supposed to go. So what does he do? Confuses their language and boots them out. 
Then he chooses a man named Abraham, and he says, hey, your family's going to renew all those dumb people. <laughs> what happens? Abraham's children are dumb people. Right? He gets to a point in time where he's like, hey, I have to look forward in time now. There's a future generation that's going to do this. It's going to be spearheaded by a king. This king is both going to be God and man. He's going to be in the line of David. This person is going to fulfill that journey. He's going to take us somewhere. Isaiah 2 presents a beautiful picture, and he uses this mountain language. The mountain of the Lord will be higher than all the other mountains. And in fact, this mountain is going to make all these other mountains look like tiny hills. Mountain language is, in the Old Testament, kingdom language. Like, we'll catch this in just a minute because I'm going to bring up another passage. But the mountain language is talking about, in ancient terms, where gods would be. When the, the ancients would think of, where do gods live? They're like, well, they don't live down here with us. They look at the mountain and say, they've got to be up there. And not only do they live up there, they've got to live in really lush gardens. And so when, when, the, when the prophets are constricting this language, they're like, hey, catch this. All you guys who are idol worshiping and you're hanging out in gardens and you're looking at mountains, well, guess what? God is going to be bigger. His, his garden's going to come down. And the mountain's going to be bigger than all the mountains that you can think of. His mountain's going to dwarf your mountains. And guess what? The word is going to leave this mountain and it's going to go out to the others and everyone's going to flock to this one. Everyone's going to come home because they're going to want to know the ways of the Lord. The Torah, the teachings of God, they're going to go out and it's going to be so attractive that people are going to come home and they're going to be doing God's ways of doing things. He's going to become their king. He's going to mediate their problems. He's going to handle the international disputes. And guess what? They're going to take their weapons of war and they're going to beat them down and turn them into farm equipment. Because God is renewing the way we think about things. God comes into our life, teaches us his ways, and his ways and his spirit change the way that we view the world. God has given us two things. He's given us the scripture and he's given us his spirit. These things disciple us into the ways that God thinks and does things. And now we take the scriptures and we take the spirit and we go and we see God change the world that we live in. That's what this passage is saying, that in a future generation, everyone's coming home. There's going to be world peace. The broken condition that the world has been set in will no longer exist because I am doing something, and I have a people that I'm going to do it with. I'm going to give you a spoiler here. You're those people. Yeah, I know. Some of you are like, that's easy. I knew that answer. But we're the people. And I want to ask the question here is, are, are we doing that? Are we living in a way that God is saying, good job? Because the reason that the Israelites got in trouble wasn't because they weren't doing the Sabbath journey. They were going to church. They were doing the sacrifices. They were doing the festivals. They were doing the, 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 the creaster. They were going to Christmas. They were going to Easter, man. It was great. If all we're doing is coming to church out of obligation, and if all we're doing is coming to a church just to check something off a box, but we're not living the vocation that we've been called to, 
then we're missing out on the purpose that God has given us. And because Israel is doing the right thing seemingly on the outside, but not doing it on the inside, God brings a nation called Babylon to crush them. And God brings Babylon down, a hundred years after Isaiah writes this, and Jerusalem is broken. And the inhabitants that survive are taken into the empire and spread abroad. Which leads me to another story. King, king Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon when they destroyed Jerusalem, has this crazy dream. He goes to sleep and has this really mysteriously haunting dream. And so what he does is he comes to his sorcerers and he comes to his, his group of uh, magicians and he says, guys, I had a crazy dream. I don't want to tell you about it. Your job, if you guys are actually magicians, your job is to see what I saw in the dream. And then you need to bring me an interpretation with the vision. And all the magician goes, oh, crap. We don't know how to do that. And then he says this, if you don't get it done and you don't know the vision, I'm going to kill all of you. And they go, oh, crap. So they're all freaking out. They're all having anxiety attacks. They're, they're going to die. But there's a young Jewish man who is taken into Nebuchadnezzar's court by the name of Daniel. Daniel receives a vision from God that answers the question of the dream and gives the interpretation. So Daniel comes in and says, Oh, mighty king, the God of the universe has told me your dream, and I know the interpretation. And he begins to tell him the dream. He says, You saw a statue that had four precious metals. It had a head of gold. It had a chest and arm of silver. It had a midsection of bronze. And its legs were of silver with the feet mixed with clay. With, oh, sorry, iron and clay. My bad. The feet were of iron and the toes were of mixed iron and clay. There we go. And then he says, then I saw a, a divine godly mountain. Mountains. I want to point that out. Mountain. And a godlike hand chops off a rock off this mountain and chucks it down at the statue. The statue gets hit at the feet, and the whole statue crumbles to dust. And then that stone turns into a mountain, and that mountain encompasses the whole world. Daniel says this, King, that statue represents four empires. The first one of gold is you. You're Babylon. Then there's going to be three empires that come. And at the time of the fourth empire, God is going to establish his kingdom. He's going to bring that kingdom, and it's going to destroy all the worldly powers. And that kingdom is going to be filled with people, and that kingdom will have no end. Now let's jump in time about 500 years, because that's the time of the fourth empire. That's when Rome comes to power. You have Babylon, you have the Medo-Persian, then you have the Greek, then you have the Roman Empire. Now the Jews have come back home. They've been brought back out of exile, but they still have not been given the promises yet. They haven't been given everything that's promised to them. They're still looking forward to a Messiah. They're still looking forward to the kingdom. And now that this fourth empire is here, they're expecting it to come any day. 
And this is when Jesus shows up, right at this time of the fourth empire. He comes in, he begins to heal the sick, begins to cast out demons, begins to cleanse the diseased, he begins to raise the dead, he begins to forgive the sins of people. He begins to focus in on the things that Israel missed out on, the poor, the oppressed, the weak, the feeble, the widow, the orphan. The Apostle James will say that pure religion in the manner that God the Father seems worthy is taking care of the widows and the orphans. Take a point on that. We'll move on. That's just a thing. Thank you. Thank you for the laugh. I was hoping for a laugh. We'll edit this out in post. All right. Jesus is doing all of these things, saying that the kingdom of God has arrived in himself. And he's doing everything that Israel was supposed to do. And then he builds a bunch of people who are following him everywhere. And he goes up on a mountain. Catch that. He takes these men onto a mountain, and he selects 12 of them. To reiterate what I just said earlier, it's 12 men that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He's renewing their purpose. We've been talking about renewal this whole time. It comes down to this. He's renewing the purpose of Israel. He's renewing the covenant. He is bringing back them, he's bringing them out of spiritual exile and bringing them back into the will of God. And the first thing he does when he comes down off this mountain is he begins to heal and demonstrate the kingdom. And for the next few chapters we're going to read, all he's doing is training his disciples to do what he does. They go heal the sick. They go cast out demons. They go et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They take on the commands of God and they do what Jesus did. Jesus trains them, does it alongside of them, but then he goes and pays the ultimate price. He dies on the cross. He eliminates the exile condition of the world. Because at, at, Babylon, at Babel, they had rebelled. Their sin had caused such a stir. He gave them over to their own desires. He gave them over to other dark entities. But at the cross, he overthrows what happened at Babel. So not only is he removing the exile condition on the people of Israel, now he's removing the exile condition on the world. And when he dies, he breaks that power and when he resurrects, the first thing he says to his disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And catch this, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I will be with you even till the end of the age. Isaiah 2, the word of the Lord will go out from Zion and it will gather the nations. All authority in heaven and on earth will be given to me. Go make disciples of the nations. They will be taught the ways of God. They will be taught in his ways and on his path. Go, teach them all that I have commanded you. The disciples are called into a purpose. 
The disciples are remnant Israel. They go and do. They go out and bring the word to the nations. You and I are a part of that inheritance. We come from a long tradition of Christian missionaries who have gone out and taken on that role to make the nations disciples, to fulfill the Great Commission, because Christ is coming back, and that kingdom that he started will be in its full form, where nation will no longer go to war against nation, where the broken conditions of this world will fall underneath his authority, and he will crush it entirely. We are now called into Israel's purpose. There was one question that was asked at Alpha over and over again this week. What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Who am I called to be? Well, let me start by saying this. Your purpose, regardless of your calling, of what your individual gifting might look like, your purpose is to make disciples of the nations. Your purpose is to call people out of darkness and into freedom. You have been given a message of the forgiveness of sins, and when people receive that message, they are set free and brought home. They are returned from exile and brought into the community. And now, we are to be equipped to go and do. In the next four weeks, we're going to be on a new journey. We're ending this story of renewal, but we're going to go into a series on purpose. We're going to talk about four major categories of what is purpose. The first one we'll tackle is the kingdom. We'll get the hard one out of the way early. Sorry, I don't mean to be derogatory. I'm being funny. We're going to talk about the intricacies of the already and the not yet. Why it's important that we have a mission right now opposed to not just a future reality. Then we're going to talk about identity. Who are you in Christ? Who are you made to be? The third week, we're going to talk about calling. What has God gifted you? How is God putting you in places in your environment to reach out? Who are you and what has God already given you? And what is God going to equip you with to reach the people in your sphere? And lastly, we're going to talk about experiencing God. What is it like to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit? And how that relationship propels us into the mission because of that love relationship that we get to grow with Him. We're going to be on a four-week journey. It's going to be fun. I'm excited about it. And we're going to, we're going to see a lot of fruit out of this. I'm expecting a lot of change in me. And I hope in you, but I expect it in me. Because I want to do my purpose. I want to see God transform Traverse City. I want to see God transform you. And I hope that you want that too. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. Let's stand up. I'm going to bless you, and we're going to go ahead and just transition into the next stage of our evening. So if you would, just put your hands out in front of you. It's just a place of receiving. Come Holy Spirit. I pray a blessing over each and every one of us in this room. 
that you would fill them with your love, your acceptance, and your power. That they would go out of here just expecting to experience your heart for the rest of Traverse City or their family or their children. God, I pray that you'd put a burden on them to expect more from you and also to reach more. And I just bless them in Jesus' mighty name. All right. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.